scripture for the sermon today. It comes from 2 Corinthians. Your uh, bulletin says first, but it's 2 Corinthians 12, chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 10, if you're following along. This is ESV. I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But not on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though, if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Thanks be to God's word. Please be seated. All right. Thanks, Scott. Hey, Wynn and Baptist. Isn't this one of those passages where you read it and then you just say, all right, we're good, let's go. Let's go with God. It's just such a rich, great passage, and that's what I'm going to be coming out of this morning. Um, so for those of you who don't know me, us, is Christy here? I think she's downstairs with our second-born Charlie. So I'm Nick Brenner. I'm married to Christy. Uh, we've got three boys, uh, Jack, Charlie, and Max. He's little. And uh, we're on staff with crew at the University of New Hampshire, down in Durham, New Hampshire. Um, been there for a couple years. And, and this church, this church that I grew up in, uh, has just been an amazing partner of ours in prayer and giving and just support all the way around. And so it's just, it's just thrilling. It really is. I mean, it's thrilling to come up here and share with you guys what God's doing in our lives as well as in the ministry and students' lives down, down there in Durham. So thanks for having us. And and I thank Mark for giving me the pulpit for the morning. Last couple, like three weeks ago, we were going to come up and share. We were all sick. And I was just going to share a minute or two. And then Mark's like, hey, why don't you just take the whole sermon? Uh, all right, sure. I'll get sick more often if I can share longer. You know, so, so thanks for having us. Um, let me pray, and then we'll jump in. Uh, Lord God, um, we do, Lord. We, we thank you for this scripture. Uh, we thank you for uh, your word, and we... We're just so grateful, God, that you're with us right now. And I pray just what Joel prayed, that we'd, we'd, we'd be excited to see what you're going to do in our hearts as we just reflect upon who you are, who your scripture says you, that you are, and who, 
we know you to be in our own lives and in our own experiences. So, God, would you just do a work in our hearts? I pray that you just help me get out of your way and uh, you just work through me. Uh, and uh, just a humble vessel, Lord Jesus, and we thank you for this morning. Thanks for uh, everyone who's visiting. Um, I pray they'd feel welcomed, God, and and, uh, and just blessed by their time here. So I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So, so this past year for us, for Christy and I, has been probably one of the most fruitful years of ministry that we've, we've ever had. We've been on staff with the crew since 2006. Um, so it's been fruitful, um, but also uh, probably one of the hardest for us personally, just in our own lives. Um, and this text that we're, you know, that we're coming out of, if we had a homepage <laughs> for our family, which we don't, we don't blog, but I think this would be like our homepage for the, for the last year. Um, it's just a great text of Scripture. I'm going to read it again because it's that good. I must go on boasting, says Paul, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, though God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of these revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I, can, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong says Paul. Um, so 14 years ago, um, I think that's kind of ironic because for me, um, 14 years ago, really, I graduated from college um, at the University of New Hampshire. And that was a time in my life, 14 years ago, when I began to walk closely with Christ. He just changed my life. Um, so that happened. About that time, 14 years ago, was when I met Christy as well, my wife, who, uh, she's just awesome. Just incredible. Um, and also, uh, during that time in my life, life was just exciting. It was amazing. I won't go into it. But God was just doing this great work in my life 14 years ago. Um, and so, for Christy and I, we had been at Cornell for about five years um, on staff with crew. Um, and so two years ago, just two years ago, coming back to this place at University of New Hampshire where all this was happening 14 years ago, where we have this great community of friends currently, got this great church family, uh, we got this great family family, my dad's here, so I'm pointing over there, and a ministry at UNH that was and is growing deep um, and wide um, was almost too good to be true when we had this chance to come back from Cornell where we'd been ministering with crew back to UNH. It was just almost too good to be true. Um, you know, Durham, New Hampshire, if you've been there, who's been there, it's pretty nice. You know, it's certainly not the third heaven, as Paul says, um, but for us, I'd say it's probably like the second heaven. It's pretty close. Uh, we just love it there. Um, 
And so I remember clearly, I'll never forget this, I remember driving with our family, moving all of our stuff from Ithaca back to New Hampshire, uh, May of 2012, and just thanking God for this opportunity to be back here um, at UNH. But at the same time, like in the same breath, I was praying, asking God to keep us as a family dependent upon him in a place that will be and could be, kind of is, very comfortable for us, very familiar for us. Um, and in some senses, it's kind of easier in Durham. We really know it. It's home, you know. Um, keep us dependent, Lord, was my prayer. Um, you know, and thinking about that, I think I should have done a quick once-over of my scriptures to see how God answers that prayer. <laughs> keep us dependent, Lord, you know. I mean, it's crazy. You don't just pray that prayer. I think I did. And, but if you look in scriptures, God will use... I mean, he'll use tons of things. He'll use lion's dens. He'll use intense squalls and really tiny boats. Um, He'll use large armies. He'll use plagues, the appetites of huge fish, giants, famines, leprosy. As Paul says, weaknesses, insults, persecutions, and calamities to keep us dependent upon him. That's a big prayer, you know. I'm not sure I should have prayed it. I'm glad I did. Um... And in verses 5 and 6, Paul actually says, on behalf of this man, uh, if you go back that one slide, on behalf of this man, which is himself, um, I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me, or hears from me, is what Paul says. And so as I think about, I look at this text, and I think about Paul, and I think about my own life, and I would say, Pretty generally, I don't consider myself to be a very arrogant guy. I mean, not super conceited. I don't boast a lot, I would think, at the front end of that. Okay? I mean, in times of my life, I would say that was not true at all. I think in high, in high school, I was a boasting professional. I, think it was like, I was really good at it. I remember this one time, uh, I was voted the Oakhurst Kid of the Week. Remember that, Doug? You had the Oakhurst Kid of the Week for the Athlete of the Week. And I remember telling the Wyndham, whatever paper it was at the time, um, they asked me, so what three words would you use to describe yourself, Nick Brenner? And I, and I told them, better than average. <laughs> what? A little bit of boasting there, I'd say, uh, when I think back on that. Um, I also remember a couple years ago, four or five years ago, a friend of mine kind of helping me realize that when people ask me what I did for like a job, normally the lead foot I would use would be to tell them how I had been an engineer, um, a civil engineer, followed by all the things that I had engineered and all the states that I had engineered them in, and how my engineering had benefited all these communities that I had engineered things in. It's kind of usually how I led. Um, and then at the very end of that, I usually just tack on, and now I'm on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ. You know, and through that, my friend just kind of helped me see, like, yeah, kind of some boasting in some of that background, that engineering there. And I mean, it's very true. And that's very true of me. And even now, I do. I do. I see myself boasting and being conceited. Um, but when Paul mentions here about boasting... There's more going on beneath the surface than just wanting the world to know how awesome we are. There's more to it than that. Um, And so the word boast, it's interesting. Strong's concordance takes the word boast there. I won't even try to say the Greek word. It's like this long. Um, But it says boasting is to glory. It's to glory on the account of something. It's to glory in something. That's what boasting is. And so it's clear from Scripture. We all know the word glory. I assume it's, it's all over scripture. 
this word glory. And God makes it really clear who and where our glory should be in. Um, and here's some, here's some texts of scripture where God kind of speaks on that. Chronicles 16.10, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Philippians 3.3, 3, for we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh ourselves. First uh, Thessalonians 2.12, 2, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner, manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and his glory. First uh, Peter 4.11 it's a great one. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. And then you couldn't get more clear than Isaiah 42. 8. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. He's jealous for his own glory. So it's clear from scripture, these are just five texts out of a lot, um, of what God wants us to boast in and where the direction of our boasting should be. It should be Godward. Paul touches on this and God clearly communicates this. So glory, boasting, but still, I mean, the word glory, kind of vague. Like if you had to define glory, how would you define that? It's kind of ambiguous. It's hard to kind of wrap your, your arms around and kind of get a good description. And so actually, I'm glad it's a hard thing to describe because someone asked John Piper, you know, what is, what is that? What is glory? And so this is what John Piper said. He said, wow, that's a good question because we talk about it endlessly, don't we? And we should know about what we're talking about. And yet, it's very difficult to define. He says, let me take a stab at it. First, he says, the reason it's so important to define God's glory is because in the Bible, I don't know of any truth that is more fundamentally pervasive than God's zeal to be glorified. Which means his zeal for us so to think, so to feel, and so to act as to make him look as glorious as he is. We don't add to his glory. But what is it, says Piper? I believe the glory of God is the going public of his infinite worth. The glory of God is the going public of his infinite worth. He says, I define the holiness of God as an infinite value of God, the infinite intrinsic worth of God. And when that goes public in creation, the heavens are telling the glory of God and human beings are manifesting his glory because we're created in his image and we're trusting his promises so that we can make him look gloriously trustworthy. It's the going public with God's amazingness. So if we go back to 1 Corinthians 12, 1 to 6, Paul is saying in this scripture that though he could boast in what God has done and what he has seen in these visions, he could do that, he says. And he says that wouldn't be wrong. Verse 6, he says, though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I'd be speaking the truth. I could do that. But he would rather boast in his weaknesses so that God's name is lifted above all names and his infinite worth would go public rather than Paul's name and story and vision being lifted up and the name and worth of Paul going public above that of God's. That's what Paul's doing here. Um, John Bloom, I really like this guy, he's kind of a writer. He says, and I've got this on the a slide for you here. Uh, he says, our fallen nature craves self-glory. We seek the admiration of others. We love the myth of the superhero because we want to be one. 
So we want our successes to be known and our failures hidden. It's so true of me, and I think our world. And since people who achieve remarkable things earn the favor of others, we're tempted to believe that they earn the favor of God as well. And that's the last thing that Paul wants us to believe. Paul knew better than most that it's not human achievements that showcase the grace of God. It is human helplessness. That's a great, that's a great quote. So, okay, moving on here. So how does God, in his grace, keep us from becoming conceited and boasting ourselves? I think he does that in lots of ways. But the one way he does this in Paul's life is by, by allowing trials that showcase Paul's inability and God's complete ability. That's how God does it. And the way he did this for me in my life last summer was pretty similar, I'd say. Um, so it was about this time last year. I think the last time we visited here was... It was last May or April. But the last time we visited here, we were gearing up to head out to Colorado to take classes at uh, Colorado State University in Fort Collins. And, and normally this idea of being out in Colorado taking classes like apologetics and Christian worldview and systematic theology, just great classes that we have to take as ongoing training to be on staff with crew. It's a rough part of the job. No, it's a part I love. Um, that's super exciting normally. But it was a few months earlier that I was at this conference in Albany, New York, called Epicenter. And I was there solo. Christy and the kids weren't there with me. I was there alone. And, uh, and because of that, I just had less responsibility, you know, of caring for Christy and caring for the boys and all their needs. And so basically, I was like a kid in this candy store of ministry for like a whole five days, just hanging out with students, mixing it up. I didn't have to be back to help put the kids down. I was able to pull, not all-nighters, but pretty close just hanging, talking with students. And that's what I love to do, you know. We're always the last ones to leave church. Jack's like, Dad, why are we always the last ones to leave church? I'm like, dude, because your dad's a talker, bud. I love to hang out and connect with people. And that's just how it is. And so he's like, I know, I know. Um, but it was during that time at this conference, um, during like a second night uh, of, of just pulling, like I said, being up very late, I was, I was going back to my room to sleep about four in the morning, probably a bad idea. Uh, but kind of out of nowhere, I, I, I kind of had this, this panic attack, you know. Um, and it, seemingly out of nowhere. Um, but anxiety and panic are, are things that I've struggled with throughout my life since I was a little guy. Um, and I've had to wrestle with those for a lot of my life. But this one, uh, you know, a year ago, was different. It just, it just seemed different. After graduating college and during my first year of working um, as an engineer... Uh, in Portsmouth, no boasting there, just want to tell you what I'm doing. I went through an intense season of battling anxiety that lasted about six months. It was really hard, really difficult. Um, I prayed really hard during that time. prayed a lot. read my Bible a lot. Meditated on God's promises a lot for that six-month period. And I came out of this time seemingly victorious and thinking those days were kind of behind me. Um, during our five years at Cornell, of course I was anxious at times, we all get anxious, but never so acutely that produced a physiological response where you could call it a panic attack. Um, so when the panic attack hit at this conference, um, I had trouble kind of making sense of it. And, and worse, I feared that I wasn't actually out of the woods. Like, where did this come from? Um, so four or five times after that, during the semester, spring semester last year, and leading up to our Colorado trip of last summer, I had these pretty significant panic attacks, all related to traveling. 
um, either driving around or just trips out of state. Um, and the biggest problem during that time for me was that I wasn't sharing this with anyone, with God, with Christy, with anyone else. I was just ashamed to be wrestling with something that was seemingly so ridiculous and so irrational and thinking, what in the world is going on? Um, so last summer, we packed up the van, the trailer, car top carriers, kids, the dog, everything but the dog. We don't have a dog, but we would have brought the dog if we had a dog. And we started heading west to Colorado. And it was about a buffalo. I was feeling so anxious that I literally felt that I could not go another mile west. I can't make this trip. I was so overcome with a sense of panic and fear, and I just wanted to be home. I didn't want to do the trip. And I won't go into all the details, okay, of that day, but it was one of the hardest of our lives, mine and Christie's and our families, all for the reasons that you can probably imagine. Um, the one thing I will say is this, okay? Um, as we turned the van around to head home, I was asking myself, am I running from doing something difficult and just kind of succumbing to my fears and anxieties of travel? Am I, am I doing that? Am I, kind of, am I running by going home? Um, and my answer to that for the first t- time in my life was a resounding no. I'm not running from this. I'm running toward it. I'm running into it. Um, throughout my life, and this is why, throughout my life I had taken this kind of grit my teeth and bear it, roll up my sleeves, get to work, approach to anxiety. I thought that if I was a better Christian, had greater faith, prayed harder, believed more, I'd be able to arrive at the peace I knew God had for me. I'd be able to arrive. Um, I viewed it as though God was waiting for me to figure it out on my own. And once I did figure it out, I would find him waiting for me on the side of victory. So he's over here. I'm over here. And as we headed back home for the first time, and by God's grace, I felt so broken and totally unable to get through it that I literally couldn't go on. And that's exactly what God wanted for me in my life. Um, and Paul says it right there. So to keep me from becoming conceited, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10, um, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this so that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Awesome passage. So, I spent the next couple months of the summer, last summer, we didn't go to Colorado, we came home. Um, And I just spent the next couple months digging deeper into my own heart and just asking God to reveal the source of my fears. And thankfully, I mean, being on staff with Crew is just a great organization. And they said, Nick, take the time that you need to grow in this area and seek God. And so it was was wonderful. Um, And so during that time, this last summer, Ed Welsh, um, he's a counselor, who's connected with the Christian Counseling Education Foundation, which is CCEF. They do a lot of work with the Gospel Coalition up here in this area. Uh, He became to me, through his writings, um, just this trusted friend uh, to me during this time and and a a real companion, though though he'll never know it, uh, actually. And and both through him and his his colleague, this guy Alistair Groves, um, God shed light on my heart and helped me apply the gospel to my own life in some profound ways. And and so I'm, I'm speaking personally, but this Christy as well. God just did a lot of work in Christy and our family too, but, but she's not up here talking. So, <laughs> so I'm telling you my side. You can ask her later if you want to. 
Um, so I want to just show you this very, this very short clip that Ed Welsh puts up um, just talking about, about fear. So I, I want to show this to you. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to unpack just a little bit some of the things that he says that were very significant to my walk with Christ. And then I'll kind of spiral out to ministry a little bit. Okay, so is Ed Welsh. I don't know. I don't, I don't like that particular word because I think ultimately all fears are rational. Bridges can, can fall apart while you're on them. It's happened before. Uh, bad things can happen. Planes can go down. Irrational fears, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't like that particular word because I think ultimately all fears are rational. Bridges can, can fall apart while you're on them. It's happened before. Uh, bad things can happen. Planes can go down. So I, I tend to think, maybe I'm justifying myself here, but I tend to think most fears are eminently irrational. <laughs> they make all kinds of sense. So you know, some, you know, some fears might seem a little more unusual than others, but I think all of them are ultimately rational. Here's, you could say all kinds of things about this, but, but I'll, let me think this way. Number one, the, here's the critical thing that Scripture says. Our goal is to be able to turn to Christ in the midst of the fear rather than extinguish all fears. Okay? That's just not going to happen. Assume that this fear is going to be nipping at your heels for the rest of your life, most likely. Your job is how can you turn to Jesus and simply say, help, Lord, in the midst of it. So, so set your sights that way. That's, that's the first thing, I think. The second thing is, one of the, the features of CCF that I've really come to appreciate is, is that there's this teaching called progressive sanctification, which means that sanctification, just we grow slowly, <laughs> and sometimes more slowly than we would like. And, and so we take these little tiny steps forward, which means that for those who struggle, there's a certain, we're in this for the long haul. For those who walk along with those who struggle, there's a... There's a patience. Okay, we'll just take these little tiny steps. Thanks, guys. Ah, I love that first thing that he says. There's three, there's three points that you know, he kind of mentioned there. He says, our goal is to be able to turn to Christ in the midst of our fears rather than extinguish all fears. Um, you know, this, this might seem pretty elementary, that kind of idea. But this was profound for me. Um, as I said, I oftentimes viewed my overcoming anxiety as just this kind of my overcoming anxiety, just like I just said it, my overcoming anxiety. As though anxiety is something for me to get over to where God is. He's over here and waiting for me to get to him. And I didn't, and I didn't see that God is with me, as simple as that sounds. Um, Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hands. Great text. In Psalm 23, 4, that whole psalm literally hinges. The hinge point of that psalm is right in the middle. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. That's what that psalm is about. Um, you know, there are nights, so my son Charlie, <laughs> there are nights, I was telling my dad this, uh, where he will wake up, absolutely freaking out 
okay? Or in his words, freaking out. He'll literally say, Dad, I'm freaking out. Can't say his R's yet. It's adorable. Um, and if, you know, the name for this is night terrors. Have you ever had any kids who have, have had night terrors? I mean, they're awful. You know, during that time, Charlie is crying, he's screaming, and he's really hard to console. He's basically inconsolable. Um, and when, in, when he is in that state, when Charlie is, of being totally overwhelmed and emotional, you can tell him until you're blue in the face that everything is okay. And it will do nothing for him. Nothing. All he wants in those moments is to know that we're with him. That's it. And that we're not going anywhere. That's all he wants. Um, he doesn't need words. He needs a person. He doesn't want our opinion. He wants our presence. And that's profound for kids. And we all know it if you, if you have kids. And I think it's profound for us. Uh, and when we need that, same thing from God, that's exactly what he offers. And I love that. It's a truth that God just drove down deep into my heart over this last year. Um, the second thing that Welsh says there, encourage me, I hope it encourages you, progressive sanctification means that we grow slowly. I love that and I hate that. You know? Um, I remember telling a guy that I was meeting with that struggled with anxiety, it's just annoying. I mean, that's the word I use for it. I'm like, bro, this is annoying. I'm on staff with crew. Dude, we travel. We're missionaries. This is annoying <laughs> to be dealing with this and having to go through this. Um, I don't need this. And at that time, especially when I was coming home, I was really wanting to be over it then and there and for God to do one of those like miraculous just um, healings where you know I was blind and the next second I see, oh, we're good. I can just move forward in my life, you know. Um, and God can, and he actually sometimes does work that way. He does, but not always. And I would actually say not usually in our lives. If you're just like me, I've got things that have been besetting my whole life. And he's just allowing me to, to go through that, you know, for whatever reason. Isaiah 61.3, you know, when Jesus, you know, gets up to kind of begin his ministry, this is, the, this is what he leads with. He says, the Spirit of God is upon me. And now all these things are going to happen. The lame are going to walk. The blind are going to see. And so Jesus is hearkening back to Isaiah 61 uh, when he's talking in Luke there. And, and one of the things it gets to in Isaiah 61 is because of who Jesus is and his work in, his, in our lives, he says, Isaiah 61.3, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Not us, that he may be glorified. Um, you guys know how long it takes for an oak tree to grow? <laughs> A long, long time, a lifetime, years, in fact. Um, and only after years of cultivation and slow growth and with roots that are sunk down really deep can an oak tree stand tall in the midst of a crazy storm and hardly be moved by the violence of the wind. Um, and that's what God says of us. He's grown us into oak trees, not pine trees. Pine trees break. Pine trees are junk. We don't burn pine trees, do we, Dad? But, but oak trees do. I got oak trees in my yard, and you can walk, look, and the oak tree is just stout, man. And all these other trees are going everywhere, and that oak tree just is firm. Um, and I love how Welsh addresses the fact that this fear that, that I struggle with, that, that we, you guys have your own, struggle with, maybe nipping at our heels our entire lives, he says. But growth, okay, Christian growth happens slowly as we increasingly turn to Christ, and he slowly makes us more like him to where he's napping in a, in a boat during a violent storm. And maybe we can too, one day. But not yet, but maybe one day. Um, 
And then third, the third thing that Welsh kind of says, is he says, for those who walk alongside those who struggle, there's a, we're in this for the long haul. We're in this for the long haul. And assumed in this statement, he doesn't say it overtly, but assumed in this statement is that we'll have people in this with us. And the people with us will be with us for the long haul of this struggle. Um, and God showed me that for, for all my life, this unique struggle. I've, I've just kind of been going solo, reading my Bible, me and my Bible, in my closet. Someone asking me how I'm doing, and I'm saying, good, you know, I'm fine. And this glaringly difficult thing is right here in my life, and I just wasn't walking in the light with people, or with God, really, you know, in that way. So linking arms with brothers who love me, a church and community group who can encourage me, my amazing wife that God gave me to help me, is an absolute necessity to experience his grace. Um, and and that's, been, that's been huge. I could share about that a lot, but I won't for time's sake. But, so for me, this last summer kicked off a time in my life where I'd, I was just tiring of boasting in my apparent strengths and sufficiencies. And actually, God didn't allow it. <laughs> he says, you're not going to anymore. Uh, and chose instead to begin boasting all the more gladly in my weaknesses. Uh, it really was at that point that it seemed I began experiencing, as Paul says in, these te- in this text, the power of Christ resting upon me. I always wanted that, but I wasn't willing to go through what God wanted me to, to experience that. Um, and Christ's peace, his hope, his joy, his power, and his presence in this area of my life have been real. And it's, been, it's been absolutely awesome. And I just want to testify to how good he is over this last year. Um, it's, been, it's been great. Um, so these past couple weeks, though, i kind of close with this. Um, I've been hit with Paul's words in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4, 7 to 12. Um, he says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. In 2 Corinthians 1, 6-7, we're afflicted. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Um, I, these are great verses. I'm not going to take any time to unpack them. But the one reality I want to see for us to see is that as we experience difficulty and experiences, um, and we experience Jesus in the midst of that, it's not just for us, you know, which, which is amazing to me. It's for, it's for others. And even as I sat down to think about what I was going to share this morning, I mean, there's a lot of stuff I could share. There's a lot of stuff I'd love to share about what God's doing on campus. But I also wanted to kind of share of what God's doing in our lives personally because we write our prayer letters out, you know, and we rarely kind of talk about ourselves in those. We talk about campus a lot. Um, but I wrestled with this question. How do I share about how God has met us personally this last year um, and also share about ministry on campus while keeping it to 30 minutes? And I don't even know what I'm at now. I don't think I'm at about that. So that was my question. And just I felt like I had to pick one or the other. Like there was this tension um, and there was. But then it dawned on me. You know, I, I thought, after reading these scriptures, I thought, that's a foolish question, really. You know, because inherent to our struggle, in our struggle, is ministry. 
inherent to our struggle is ministry. It always is. That's the God that we serve. Within God comforting us in our afflictions will be the comfort of others in theirs. Blessed to be a blessing, as he said to Abraham. There's no distinction. They're the same. And so, and so I got thinking differently. I said, okay, God, how are you using this on campus and in people's lives? And so I'll just end with this. Uh, there's, there's a myriad of ways, um, but one way that just blessed me so much was um, just this past conference, this Epicenter conference, so a year from when I had that first panic attack, um, our crew regional team said, hey, Nick, they kind of know what I've been going through. They said, hey, would you be willing to give a seminar on anxiety for students? It's usually really well attended, and <laughs> it is. There's like six or so students that usually turn out for this, this seminar. And so I said, sure. You know, I said, yeah, I mean, it's going to be hard, and I got, you know, I'll think through it, but yeah, I will. And so me and this other staff member kind of paired up, and we, and we gave this seminar, which even as I'm giving this seminar, I'm kind of laughing, like, oh, man, God, I can't even believe I'm up here talking about my own life and this difficulty, um, and just felt really kind of humbled to be able to do it, uh, to be able to do that. And so we gave that, that seminar. It was like a week later, I got an email from this uh, staff woman out in Rochester. Her name's Jill. And she said, hey, she said, this is what she said to me. She said, hey, I was just finishing up my prayer letter sharing about one of the Rochester students who put their faith in Christ at Epicenter, this conference. She shared that the point at Epicenter that really resonated with her and led her to the decision uh, for Christ was the seminar you did on fear and anxiety. She said, I thought you'd be interested to hear that you played a role in it and God worked through you. And I got that email and I said, Lord, if it was just for that, is it enough? I think so, actually, for her comfort in my affliction so that she may experience the life of Christ through my experiencing difficulty. So hard to say, but so awesome when you see God work in that way. You know, in other ways as well, I think about my family. I think the one thing God really taught us as a family is that we have limits. We can't be all things to all people all the time without sometimes burning out. And so God's really showed me one of the things is that I can be so dependent upon myself such that we can put our family in these situations that are really difficult. So the other great thing God's doing in our family is that we've just kind of dialed it down a little bit. I feel like I don't work until midnight as much as I used to, only when I have to, you know, that sort of thing, or 11, or whatever it may be. It's just kind of brought a blessing to our family such that there's a, there's a healthier rhythm in our family having gone through this struggle. So, so those are a couple of things I wanted to share with you. I mean, God, God is. I mean, God is working in great ways at the University of New Hampshire. And that could be another talk for another day. And, and if you want to jump on our prayer letter list, if you're not on it, if you might read it here, if you're not on it and you want to get monthly updates from Christy and I on crew ministry down at UNH, you can sign up. I have a sign-up sheet in the back, and you can just kind of be updated on how to pray and what God's doing. Because students are coming to know Jesus. Students' lives are changing. God is working. Uh, but just want to take a little bit of time this morning to exhort you guys out of the scriptures to, to see weaknesses as such that, that they're not bad. You know, that God's using them for his glory and your comfort and the comfort of others, just as he's done in our lives. And, and I'm not out of the woods yet. You know, I'm not. God, this might be nipping at my heels the rest of my life. But God's showing me how to walk in the midst of it. You know, so, so pray for us, you know, because we're going back to Colorado. <laughs> Lord willing, you know, and, I, and we are. I think we're going, God's done a great work in my heart. Things are, things are happening. I'm talking to you. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have given this message last year for, for shame. So just pray for us as we, as we head out there. We're leaving mid-June. Um, and just pray that God continues to be glorified in the midst of our weaknesses. So thank you. Let me pray, and the worship team can come up. Mm, Lord God, thank you for this morning. Lord, I do just want to thank you and praise you for uh, 
your presence, God, your guiding presence and your, your, the fact that you're with us in the midst of everything we go through, the difficulties and the joys, and that you will never leave us. Um, I thank you, God, for the people who have walked alongside me in my life and, um, and just the ways you're working this year. I can just talk a long time about how good you are. And so, Lord, yeah, I just thank you. I pray you drive this word down deep into our hearts, God, that, that we would embrace our weaknesses so that you may look really good in the midst of our struggles and, 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 and walk with us and carry us through. So we love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.